The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to Talk Cosmos, the show where Sue Rose Minahan and guests unveil astrology's ancient archetypes that continually build the collective experiences in our unconsciousness. Get ready to find your free will from your roots in the stars. Hi, I'm Sue Rose Minahan and host of Talk Cosmos. Today is December 1st, 2018, and we're doing the third week of the four-week Sagittarius Talks. Tonight's subject is exploring cultural perspectives. Sagittarius ruled by Sag, actually Sagittarius ruled by Jupiter, is in its own sign. That started, oh, earlier this month, November 8th, and it'll go entirely until next December on the 2nd. And that's 13 months in seed time right now for Jupiter because it connected to the sun just on November 25th, at a very early degree of Sagittarius. And this is the first time since 1935. That's quite a while. Big visions. It's a time to be heard. And like the centaur, the half man and horse, Sag connects us to nature. Our visions connect us to the beyond of higher mind, faraway places. And still centered on the land of adventures and the fiery and mutable energy of Sagittarius. And that ninth house, because it is an archetype, so it includes all of these factors in astrology. And at this moment, the cultures that we develop, whether they're countries, corporations, it's all these perspectives that develop every aspect of our traditions and cultures. In fact, today, because we are pre-recording, I'll mention one factor that reggae music was just declared as of today, the 29th, which I know I said it was the first because this will be airing on the first, but UNESCO has declared that it's a global cultural treasure. And this is because it's intangible cultural heritage. Bob Marley sang music. It's a music vehicle. It acts as a voice for us all. And isn't that Sagittarius? It is where our voices want to be heard. Today, my guest is Patty McLaughlin. She's an evolutionary astrologer. She studied with Maurice Fernandez. She's read tarot for 30 years. And Patty is a international educator and developer. She's traveled to 80 countries. That just, I love it. She received her Bachelor of Arts in Political Economy from Evergreen State College here in Washington and a Master's of Art in Teaching English to Speakers of Other Languages. That's called T-E-S-O-L. And that's from the School of International Training in Battleboro, Vermont, so, hello, Patty. It's great. Hello, Sue. How are you? Well, I am fine. I know you're in Kabul, Afghanistan. Mm. So, already, we're like nine hours apart. It's <laughs> right. sunrise, sunset. That's a great... I like what you said about the reggae music. Um, it makes me think all these years of traveling... Um, 
and working in other countries, I always felt that um, whenever I traveled and I couldn't find this place I was looking for, I sometimes would hear some reggae music and I thought, well, that's a nice place. I'll try that. Ooh. You know, so that's an interesting thing that they've made that a global language of sorts. Yes. I think that's interesting. Yes, and isn't it true? Like music is that wonderful common denominator. I was just thinking too about culture, how food and and music, even if we can't actually travel, because I well, in many ways, it's the physical, like such as you're doing, but in our mental minds, whether it's philosophies or whether it's it's actually traveling to um, a restaurant and music. So that's interesting that you used and navigated through reggae. Oh, I definitely have. You know, and it's everywhere. It's in every country. Oh. You know, it's it's it is really a universal. So that's it. That is really interesting. Um, yeah, it's, it's like you you can travel. I've been to China and you know really remote places, and then suddenly there's a reggae something playing. <laughs> it's fascinating that that became. <laughs> So, yes, I'm in Afghanistan now, and there's even some reggae here sometimes. <laughs> My goodness. Well, I guess it is a, it was perfect timing, and that is actually, mm-hmm. when you think about traveling now, we, everything is so instant, what with, not like mm-hmm. old days when people took journeys and, and such preparation and such time to get there. But still, exactly. It, yeah. But it's still such huge perspective changes. I guess... What would be some of the perspective? Um, well, let's see. I, you know, I just want to confess I'm a Libra son, but I've I've been very blessed to have my Pluto was in Sagittarius. He was in the ninth house of my life through 1977 through 1994, and then it was in actually Sagittarius from 1995 to 2011. And my north node is in Sagittarius. So although all these years I've thought I was a Libra, I think I have really, um, I've had a strong Jupiter influence. And I think it's forced me to, um, I just always as a child even, just wanted to move and experience other cultures. Um, I think in a true Sagittarian way. Um, And I think, I'd like to, you know, what else, like when I was younger, I used to just love this feeling of going to another culture and just getting lost and immersed in it. Yes. And and it was almost like um, a little bit of an obsession when I was younger, um, just to see how the world could be arranged through, there's just so many ways to organize life. Isn't that a beautiful way of expressing it? Those patterns. It's very true. Just like a garden or any, yeah, combination. Exactly. Like, you know, it's like it can be organized, you know, food, just how food can be arranged, organized so differently in each culture or, or the garden in each culture. And each culture expresses it so differently because of the values that, and the perspectives that they see it. And I think I just, um, I think a Sagittarian really likes to see that difference 
and know that there really isn't that one way they're looking they're kind of looking for one way but you have to see so many different um ways that it can be organized to find the one way that suits you or something it's it's just endlessly indis- it's just really endlessly interesting there are many gifts it definitely is true because there's advantages to realizing options of of behavior of thinking I often go just simply to the table. If you go to a friend's house, some people have big bowls of food on the table, and other people have, uh, you know, they dish it out, and and and, serve, and and everybody gets their plate, and that's what they eat. And so, you know, there's... Oh, the, exactly. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, you get to cho- choose and have choice, and on the other, uh, it's it's... You have to accept, you know, what's being offered so that there's great gifts in, in learning and mixing a new perspective. Well, like in hospitality, um, in Afghanistan, I've been here for some time, and um, they really pride themselves on hospitality. So if you go to any home, you know, there's so much food that is put out for you. And it's so beautifully arranged. Everybody sits on the floor and there'll be all this fruit and all this rice and all this meat and all these greens and all these teas and all these liquids. And the more that is put out on the, the floor is like the more they're welcoming. It's so, so much hospitality. And, and this display is so beautiful. And there's no way you could ever eat the amount of food that's that's there. Well, that abundance, isn't that mm-hmm. a real truth that one, just from the heart, wanting to, particularly when you think about culture, I mean, from historically, food wasn't always an abundant factor. But if you wanted to uh, show your, your guest how much you cared about them and would nurture them, then this would be a good demonstration of it and the beauty of it when you speak of that even I remember my grandmother mentioning that food had to be beautiful you know put colors on that plate so this is really I love food yeah and the way it can be expressed it's so differently it's so beautiful so when that happens then is it prepared all by the host our hostess not necessarily like a potluck like we might is familiar no not at all in fact potluck is a very foreign um idea here um whoever should um if you go to somebody's house or even if you go out one one would really take pride in hosting you and paying for you and so when people come to the united states or something from afghanistan the whole idea of a potluck is is very foreign that they would have to bring something. Yes, I Th- think that would be that would be very. Um, I mean, I actually love potlucks because I I like you know to me it's a way of everybody me being part of the meal. But oh, in Afghanistan, no, no, you, that would be considered a little shameful. Yeah. Well, here, coming from the Northwest as I am, having been raised, although I've lived many other places, but it was the the Native American culture that started potlucks you know with the tinglet indians up in canada people would which was a wealthier indian culture more than the actual uh, um 
peoples that were here, because there's quite a few uh, Native American culture, I mean, tribes here right around the Seattle area and Northwest, but they instigated that whole potluck. I don't know if other places in the, other tribes in the nation did or not. So that is fascinating how it didn't, it, it when I haven't really researched potlucks, but whether or not, I'm, I mean, besides the fact that I know that it, that the native culture here had it, but it wouldn't be. Yeah, you're right. I just wonder if it's, um, you know, I know there was a potlatch, and wasn't it that the, when the, you know, the tribal elder would, um, as a way of, sh- like, they would almost give all of the food to the community or something, and then make, or all the fish or something. Yes. A latch it's, is a better word. I think potluck yeah. is what we call it, and potlatch, yes, indeed. That's right. I think so. Now, as a culture with mm-hmm. music, have you've traveled to countries, and do many countries, people generally participate here in the United States. Every home used to have a piano, and everybody sang and played something. We don't do that any longer. But how about other countries? Um, you know what's interesting? I think... Um, I think music is everywhere, but I, you know, people like all over Asia, they love karaoke music. And, um, you know, another thing that seems kind of, um, you know, where people sit around and they, they really love to sing together, but they will use kind of electrical means now devices. Um, I think that's so popular in a lot of the world here in Afghanistan. Um, it's there's a, a strong Indian influence of music, and also you have to remember that during the Taliban, when the Taliban was in power for almost ten years, all music was um, illegal. And it's such a strange because uh, you know Afghans love music, and there's always music playing. They have a lot of different. They play a lot of tabla, and a lot of kind of. Um, it's like a type of harpsichord almost kind of sound Mm -hmm. and people people do get together it's often um males um in one room and they'll all get together um and then in another room the females will all get together and they'll play um different types of music um it's it's separate it's separated sexes here in general um except for maybe some modern families they'll they'll have music together but generally, there'll be men playing music for each other, women playing music for each other. Yes. Well, kind of in an Islamic way. Mm-hmm. My father, I was thinking of, of how religions sometimes can really ban uh, many things because my father was raised Lutheran. His, he came from Norway, and his mother was very fundamentalist Lutheran. And there, everything was not allowed, you know, whether it was playing cards or anything. Yeah. He used to think if it was fun, it was bad. So, but he changed a lot of yeah. that. But, yeah, so it isn't just the... Um, uh, I don't religion. think so. I actually think the difference between a fundamentalist Christian, a fundamentalist Muslim, or even a fundamentalist um, 
Jewish person, it may be very similar. Yes. I think that they may ban very cards. Like um, here, kite flying was even banned because people used to um, gamble. You know, it was quite aggressive, mm. this kite flying. So it was more like a gambling game than just a child's game. So that's why it was banned. Not yes. because it was a game. It was because of the gambling aspect. And I think that's very true. There is a perspective of diversion, and depending on how, which, because Sagittarius, as we know, has philosophy, religions, you know, it is this higher mind of many forms that that really creates our perspective. So it's true that regardless, all these cultures can share in that. Well, games, now that's a fascinating thought because games really are important to many cultures. It seems like, I know, again, the Native American Indian played a lot of games. And I think in uh, Taiwan, anyway, many, many, many places, games are so important. I think games must be a universal. You know, that's maybe a universal. And I think, uh, you know, just like even here, I've gone up to small villages and they don't have anything, but they'll play um, like marbles with these little rocks. You'll see kids, like it looks like a marble game, only there's just small rocks they're using. Oh, boy. We uh-huh. grew up with those. And I did. I've seen I've seen them also, um, like a, way up in the villages, just throwing rocks, almost like a shot put. Oh yes, you know, but just very primitively. I mean, I don't I don't mean to say that word primitively, but like just not with you know, it's not a a nice ball. It's just a rock. Yes. So you can start to see like just these basic games, like the origins of them, where they came from. Yeah, like skipping stones on the beach, you know. Exactly. Yeah, or just in so many ways how, well, I was with a little four-year-old this last weekend and didn't have much, and we found some pennies, and we were flipping them for heads or tails. She had great fun with that, you know. It's like yeah, but somehow this interaction that I guess bridges uh, some compatibility of spirit and lightheartedness or the unknown. I don't know what it is that games really share, but it is an important factor. But that's what I I think the idea of Sagittarius, you know, you're looking, at least for me, going through all these different cultures and trying to find the universalities, you know, what, what do all people do and what is like just structured by your own culture? It's, it's just fascinating because you, what you think is, um, is a universal is something is sometimes so culturally bound and then and yet like games i think what you're talking about it, i think some of these basic games are universal i think music is a universal these yeah. things that everybody as a human being needs and loves and they cross cultures and i i sometimes i, I think in these times we have to find these universals more than, you know, the differences. I love, I agree. I agree totally. This is where it's a great aim with the Sagittarius arrow, you know, to strike for is to say, just like food on the table, some serve it up and some put it in a bowl. I was reading an article here in Seattle, and it was about the homes. You know, every week in the newspaper, there's something about homes, it, the the Homes have dropped a bit because Amazon is leaving, 
but that's okay. It went up so crazy. We're the highest in the nation. So it's at least <laughs> making some sense now. But with that, it was fascinating. They have downtown condos where they have, of course, a concierge, and then they have a bike. I mean, the, what they're gravitating to is a certain culture of, of experience, of people that are the working people. And the youth, you know, they have bicycles. And then they have a BMW uh, rental program where people can get a car and rent it in a pool way up at the top where you look out everything. Then on the other spectrum, down in a little town south of here, not too far, in a lake, they're building a community where it's almost like going back to the rural times where community is a factor and they have Santa Claus out and Fourth of July parades and you know your neighbors and all of that. And so when you think these are cultural denominators that are binding, unifying, you know, uh, groups of people. Yeah, I think even within, uh, you know, that's what's interesting too is every culture that you go to, it's like there are those different stratas of society. So, you know, almost like in evolutionist evolutionary astrology, we talk about consensus and individualism and spiritualism. Those three levels are functioning in every culture. I'm glad you brought that up. And for our yeah. audience, we might expand because there's many astrologers, but for those that are not, the idea with evolutionary astrology, because it's soul-based, it's our growth, that we have these experiences and the whole process but that survival is a consensus. It, it, well, everybody's concerned, but more on a pretty general uh, basis, and that's the largest percentage, you know, whether it's 70, 75% of the population. And then, the, and then slowly or somehow a, a soul, and this isn't all in one lifetime. You can come back and wherever you're at, but is individuated, and that's where we begin to make choices that, perhaps are separate from what the mainstream is. And then the last would be the spiritual, which essentially is connected to the spiritual is what you, I keep thinking what you see is what you get. <laughs> right. It's that higher plane where, you know, you're more detached and more just acceptance and, and you're, you're not looking for, the right and the wrong. I mean, I suppose it's what a Sagittarius may may seek, even in in its own truth-seeking way. It's trying to find that spiritual high. I think, in a sense, because it's alignment. It's alignment mm -hmm. with the higher self, and so it's not just whether the, the values are are really uh, like the adage "Do unto others as you do unto yourself," which is every with every religion mm -hmm. type idea. Well, one thing I wanted to share is, um, so I've been here quite a while, and every year, every month, I do these timesheets for the people I supervise, and, um, you know, just the other day, I was asking them, you know, what does this mean? Because right here, the year is 1397. Um, we use a different calendar here, and uh, the time of the month is usually around the 21st or the 22nd, so this Afghan, I was, um, he was saying, oh, you know, it's like this, um, it's like this, uh, it's this old game. And he was trying to explain what the month meant. And then I, he, I've said archery. 
And he said, yes, it's the archer. So then I asked him like what all the months meant. And actually the names like of all of their months, like we're in the month of the archer now. And the last month was the month of the, you know, it will be like Virgo or Libra. So they follow a Zodiac calendar, even though I'm in the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan. And the names of their months are actually astrological names. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. I never realized it till just just this month. I was like, "You're kidding." Yeah, that's a real. I didn't denom- really realize this. I just had known that you know every yeah. month we have these different names, but well, it so is a common denominator. It's the and month of the archer. Well, you know, back in the the, the Islamic world, I, there was the golden era of 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 um, Islam, and astrology was a huge. Uh, energy of math and I mean there was so mm-hmm. much really that we have because of that golden era I think it was around 700 AD right yeah something and like they that. still followed that you know they do not follow you know the Gregorian calendar they still follow the solar or the lunar calendars which are much more kind of in line with um, nature like they're uh, the jet you know e- the first of the year is April 21st you know the like it should be the oh, beginning, yes. or excuse me, March twenty first. So it's the beginning of Aries. Which is sp- when their new is when New Year's is the equinox. Yes, I mean yeah. close to when the sun is is, which also worked with when the rains would come and the rivers would go up and that whole. Well, there must be is then because we're talking about perspective. I'm, tr- I'm threading this back, living in an environment that is more land based or. Uh, nature-based in a sense i think so you know you know when you have uh, your new year's when the actual spring is coming out and the flowers are coming out it really makes more sense you know we have new year's on january 1st you know like in seattle it's so dark and dreary <laughs> and it hardly seems like a new year <laughs> I know it is like mind over matter. It's so true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is a new year because it's the new year numerically, but naturally, it's actually it doesn't feel like a new year. Yeah, there is a separation there. We're going to come right back. We're going to have a brief announcement, and this is Talk Cosmos with Sue Roseminahan and Patty McLaughlin, and we're talking about culture and perspectives. So. uh, We'll be talking in just a moment. Thanks. While we take a break from this week's edition of Talk Cosmos, let's take a look at this cycle's archetype. We are currently in the Yang period of Sagittarius ruled by the largest of all planets, Jupiter, the Roman god, or Zeus by the ancient Greeks. By leaving a cycle based on power and powerlessness of life and death and regeneration, involving committed relationships, Sagittarius energy finds meaning for an expanded perspective and potential for actualization in their search for truth. As a mutable fire sign depicted by the centaur, Sagittarius is adventurous and seeks the beyond. 
Sagittarius travels to far places, physically and mentally, to find the truths of life. Celebrate your star energy blessings. Schedule a natal astrology chart consultation with Talk Cosmos host, Sue Rose Minahan. You'll learn to better understand what personally fuels your soul's seed direction. Sue focuses on your questions to connect you into your unique heart's desire and your true soul path's birth essence, including a recording and a copy of your chart. Schedule by emailing info at talkcosmos.com. That's info at talkcosmos.com. Welcome. This is Amanda Pierce, astrologer and paradigm shifter, and you're listening to Talk Cosmos on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, where we understand how to implement our free will through the cosmos. There's a reason they invented the internet. It's called 1150kknw.com. Hi again, Sue Rose Minahan and Patty McLaughlin speaking from Kabul, and we are pre-recording. Patty, I have a couple of thoughts here that I wanted to share, and I'm trying to figure out which is more. One of them is just so surprising because it is a matter of perspective, and it is really a matter on the big modern era that we're living in. There was an article in the paper about a Dutchman who's 69, who is in great shape, he's a works out and etc and uh, he's asking his government to shave off 20 years he wants to be 49 because I yeah I heard about that yeah Mm -hmm. for jobs and dates so it's and then the other factor about really a whole shift in thinking is well is the consensus bureau that here was saying that uh, race is becoming a big question because there are so many statistics of myth, uh, mixed race or ethnicity, and that, you know, in the past, people, which I've never agreed with, you know, that said, well, if you have some minority, then you are a minority. Well, you know, who's to say? And that's just the fact is a lot of people are saying, wait a minute, I'm who I want to be. And in fact, for Asian and Hispanics, a fourth of them marry outside of, of that denominator. And people that are born in America, even that doubles. So the whole idea is, is growing. So it's like, who are we? And this is a talk about universality. I think it's a good thing to, to say more. It's about our pers- the perspective, the lines are changing. You know, who are we? And what? I think it's interesting um, that, you know, just in our lifetime, you know, like we're probably in close to the same age, um, you know, there's been so much more intermarriage. And so it's in the States, it's, it's, it, you know, the lines of, you know, there's so, so many ways to be, you know, I guess I grew up, I grew up in Olympia, Washington, you know, it was actually, I thought it was quite white. But then, actually, when I went back to my 20th reunion, um you know, I realized, you know, that we actually had lots of Asians in our school and lots of different people from the South um, Pacific. And suddenly what was kind of, I kind of just perceived everybody to be white. I mean, in fact, they weren't. Mm. I went to Garfield High School (laughs) in Seattle, and it was a good mix. It was good half black uh, heritage and then a lot of Asian 
and mm-hmm. and and then with the Caucasian. And in fact, Jimi Hendrix came from there years back, not when I was going to school, but about seven years before I did. And, right. And I love well, it. I think the, well, I was just thinking about what you said also about the age. I, this Dutchman, he wants to be younger and he wants to change his age um, so he can get jobs and he can date. And it is true that like just here in Afghanistan, I know that they're saying that if you're 65 and a foreigner, you shouldn't be able to actually work here any longer. Mm-hmm. So there's. Um, and, and I do notice, like, uh, you know, because I usually work in different countries, like I used, you know, I'll apply sometimes for jobs. And in other countries, they actually can legally state, you know, if you're over 55, do not apply. Isn't that fascinating? I see. I had not even considered the. Uh, yeah. Of course, right now there's a lot of Capricorn, as far as the the signs and Pluto is, and so there's more rules and more regulations and definition of of boundaries. I think again right. and again, you know, whether for whatever purpose, and a lot of people, a lot of people in the world, so that there yeah, can have- be. Mm-hmm. I guess I have mixed feelings about it. On one hand, I think, oh, I wait, I feel so young. I feel like I should have these jobs. But then you think, what about the young people? Maybe they should have those jobs. It, it's kind of interesting because older people can stay too long, I suppose, in jobs. But, but yet we, and we feel young. But definitely outside of the United States, they are playing by different rules. They can definitely say 50, 55, you're, you're not eligible for this job. And, um, and you have to put your age, you know, they look at your age. You have to include your age. You may have to include your marital status. You, you know, they, you have to, even here in Afghanistan, you have to include your father's name. Now, is this because it is more, these cultures are more homogenous and therefore, and also because I think, I know having lived in Mexico some years back, 20 years ago for, well, quite a few years, that there's a large young population. The average age is more around in the late 20s. I mean, it's it's young. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of the world has a lot of younger average age. And so therefore the span between 30, let's say, and... 60 is pretty dramatic. Yeah, I think you're right. I think here, um, especially where there's been war, you have a lot of young people. Um, definitely, there's a, in Afghanistan, very young population, uh, which is exciting because these are the new countries that, you know, will have a young uh, population to take the future, you know, whereas I guess in the United States, we're getting older and older. I think of history back thousands of years ago, actually, when people were really young that made history. Alexander the Great, for instance, and you know they, exactly. You know, it wasn't. I mean, he mm-hmm. he came through here. There's his descendants are, you know, in Afghanistan and along the Silk Road. You have people who are direct descendants from him and his military people, and you know he was wasn't he just in his 20s when he kind of conquered the world or something? Yes, I think, in fact, I Googled it once because I was, uh, whatever purpose, and I think he was 18, 19 
I mean, he was a student of Aristotle and who taught him a great deal, and he really understood strategy, war strategy, and he understood also the concepts of empire, that to build great feats of, of, of monuments so that people would worship them. And mm-hmm. you know, he, there are these people that are connected, huge terrain. Genghis Khan, as you were mentioning, and Alexander the Great, whether he exactly was, that did transpose and and shift a lot of the the culture. So, but on I, the other hand, I think Microsoft did. You know what happened with Microsoft? Remember uh, Bill Gates when he first started. Everybody who worked for Microsoft was like under 30 years old, very young. And and I think when they started like working internationally and breaking into markets, everyone that they dealt with was much older. Interesting. And so the, they'd have these, you'd have these young Microsoft people in their 20s, you know, going and like trying to, um, you know, sell the product and and. It was just shocking, I think, for a lot of people in these in Asia who weren't used to having younger people tell them what to do or how to do it. I think it was a. I think that itself was a big cultural shock of how technology has been so run by young people in the world. It has revolutionized that whole um, mentorship, you might say. Where people oh, are, yeah. yeah, and it's a gap. I mean, older people and younger people, the level of their technology fluency is it's it's such that's global, I think. Younger people have such even in Afghanistan, even I think in a lot of Asia, you know, they just have a command that older people really have to work at to catch. I'm trying to figure out how to ask a question because I mean I'm fascinated by 80 countries and I guess wondering if you have takeaways of some of the experiences through perspective of these different cultures that impressed you like what would be you know when I was young I just wanted to travel so much you know I would I think I was a true Sagittarian I, I you know with the the restless feet, the hooves, the the restless horse, you know, I had to keep moving. And then the head wanting to find this, the truth of each society or the, the, the values of each society. And, um, you know, what I do think is that most people, I just think it, it does get down to family and um, culture. People all are very proud of their culture. They're very proud of their families, um, and they all organize each of those things so differently, like I was saying. There just really is no one way. I guess that's that was the strongest takeaway I, I have, you know, um, yet there's a similarity. Uh, I, think, I think growing up in the United States, we are so individualistic, um, even, you know, we have such a nuclear family, that's how we consider family. I think the rest of the world isn't really designed that way. I think it's um, it's they see they see themselves as part of a group, or they see themselves as part of a larger extended family, or even part of a nationality more than we do. I think we're much 
we're much more individualistic than most cultures. And, and you can say that lightly, but when it's really, when you see it played out, like, like in many countries, um, if a cousin is ill or an uncle is ill, they will, they will really take time off from work and they'll take responsibility for those people. That word. Whereas in our, yeah, in our culture, you know, maybe if your son or daughter or maybe brother is sick, but we don't stretch so far. It, this is valuable to really consider because I, I was thinking about the fact of people that, on many levels, I mean, when people leave their homeland, wherever it is, their native uh, countries, which happens increasingly. My own father left, his mother left, you know, Norway, as I say. So I, th- mm-hmm. I consciously, I think of the immigrant story a lot and what that means. But I think it is finding that common denominator, as you're saying, trying to find the connections of new experience of the food of, of, or, or memories of, well, some, I suppose the stories, that's maybe where the childhood stories make a difference. But it's like anything, maybe moving to a new house where you keep a few artifacts, a few mementos to kind of ginger up a few ideas or else just habits that, that are familiar. You know, you have to broaden it. It's almost like the old person that has the optimistic viewpoint and continues to live instead of you know, painting all the time for the, the old that's gone. Well, it's like I used to teach this, um, you know, with the beginning students, I used to teach English as a second language. And, you know, we draw a family tree. You know how we might do that in the States. You draw a tree and then maybe you draw, you know, your connections up to your different relatives, right? Yes. And usually we draw those up, right, up in the tree? Yes. Um, well, most of the world, when we do that, they... I think that's an immigrant perspective of a family tree, because when you go to other countries, they'll immediately have the tree, but it'll go back to their ancestors and they'll be, they'll draw them into the roots of the tree. How fascinating. Yes. So that's a big difference. So like we, like, like you said, we kind of immigrated from, to the United States, all of us, you know, we're all immigrants. So or except for Native Americans, but we kind of almost came from the sky, our relatives. We don't really know where they came from. <laughs> you know that. But, 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 and so when you draw that out and you show that to a person, they think that's very strange because they're very rooted to their land by thousands of years. And that shows in that calendar that you were just talking about. Because exactly. when, when you brought up the January 1st, and we're both from the Northwest here, and it is a dark time, the sun is, and it's cold, and the it's sun so, has, yeah. and It's so unnatural in some ways. And um, you have to think of the mental idea that, okay, this is a new year, it's all mental. There isn't that connection, like what you're talking about with cultures that are rooted Right. So when you can imagine that when immigrants come to the United States who have always been on a cycle where, you know, the new year started in on March 21st when spring starts and then suddenly they're in the United States and 
they have to adjust their whole time and their whole way of being in the world in a new place. And so I think I think we don't really even think about that, but it's got to be challenging for them. Well, yes. In fact, I have studied a little Kabbalah, and in that calendar, I don't know if all the Jewish people do or not, but it starts in September. Because, oh, does it? That's yeah. interesting. And because it's the idea that the individual, like astrologically, it's very related to astrology, and the. In astrology, you know, we begin with Aries. It's that spark of being, the breaking away and individuating and then developing. And then by the time we get through the six houses and we go above the horizon to others, that's when we're ready to meet others. And that's really essentially life because we're not here alone. And so it's a whole different way of of, uh, considering so the the calendar starts in September, like September twenty first. Yeah, on the equinox, or, exactly. Oh, isn't that the most interesting yeah. thing? And they too have. I didn't know that. Yeah, there are so many different calendars in the world, which I'm not knowledgeable totally of, but I know that in that calendar, that Leo can have some years two Leos because they oh, it's an awkward type. I mean. I say awkward just because I don't know how exactly it works. But measuring time, which we know is a man-made factor, um, does differ throughout the globe. And it is a powerful. It, it, you're right. And how people spend time, how people view time. I think uh, people always say when they go to the States, there's no time. Everybody's so busy. And it does seem like time kind of flies in the States in a way. It's very, it's busy. There's a lot of choices. There's a lot of things to do. Um, It takes a lot of time to do things like traffic wise, like in Seattle or something. But, you know, it is true. People, um, just how they perceive time is so, I think, is really different in different cultures. Um, I think uh, how they organize uh, their meals around the different times. Oh, yes. I know it was really different. Um, yeah. Like we eat so early at 6 o'clock, um, 6, 6.30 or something, 7 maybe. But, you know, some cultures, I think, eat, eat, I think most cultures eat much later. Indeed. Mexico, I, I remember... You know, nine o'clock people are coming out to eat. You know, that's mm-hmm. when everything gets busy and and that. And, you know, this reminds me that the nodes, the lunar nodes, again, trying to educate a, a few people that may not know astrology. And this will be coming up because they just shifted. They last for 18 months. It's this uh, a, a point, actually, between the orbits of the moon and the sun. I guess the moon... <laughs> Anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. In the and, elliptical, uh-huh. Yes, and so they, they're now in Cancer, and when you're talking about time, the North Node, so in other words, we're all integrating this idea of the structure, of the duty, of, the, of, of man-made time, you might say, or ethical time, too, you know, karma with Capricorn, with going to the lunar time, of having discretionary time, private time. You're saying like there's no time here, you know, visiting and traffic. But the difference is, is that 
and that luxury of having all the time you have. I mean, on the one hand, one might get bored if they can't think of things, but on the other hand, if one gets into the feeling of just experiencing and being in the moment, then there's all this wonderful time. So I'm beginning to realize that this is going to be a big uh, issue. It should be a yeah. It should be a big shift. That's interesting to think about, like how it realigns, and then how much time things will take. You know, with Cancer and then with the Capricorn, it's almost like a realignment of some sort. It is. I, I, I don't know how that will show up. That's that is really interesting. But people taking time to be with their families, people taking time to nurture, people taking time to develop their own flower. I remember we're both students of Maurice Fernandez, and it's, it's this idea that, that, and whether it was Maurice or others, because it's general astrology, I suppose, too, but that the flower blooms in its own timing. And that's right. When I really center in on it, reality I think oh okay you know I might still be in the bud form in certain ways and other times it it does mature and right and it goes back to the Dutch guy that you brought up that he you know he wants to be a different time he wants to change the time of his age I mean he is legally trying to do that yes and he even said that he would give up his monies now, there's one other. We have a few minutes here. Uh, it's interesting to think about. It though. is. It, it, oh, it, I wonder what will happen with that. I don't know what I think about him doing that. Well, you <laughs> Maybe wonder... he just wanted younger women. I wasn't sure. Well, that is, he was pretty upfront about that. He was saying that he's being, uh, you know, with, and whether or not he actually is uh, granted this, which would be a big game changer, you consider it, because that's the whole idea you know, with right. the whole world. But it does open up a lot of conversations because it is, again, about that perspective of, you know, who are you and what is it that you're making? And I think it's that combination, essentially, that, yes, one can remake themselves and become new. On the other hand, you are part, in a sense, of your own history and time. But how you make meaningfulness of that which is so sad, you know, very uh, making meaningfulness. It isn't just the facts, but it's how does it resonate? What purpose does it get put together with? What patterns, you know, is becoming important. Well, maybe you could even choose, you know, you could choose the age of how you actually feel soul-wise instead of the time, you know, external time, yeah. Putting that on you, limiting you. Well, good point, because instead of being told by external factors, it's more on the internal. And Sagittarius does, from what I understand, take their environment and make it fit to them. Instead, exactly. Yeah, instead of the Gemini, of which is the axis, I mean, it's that relationship that's really trying to discover what the external is so that they can label and understand it and navigate it. So it's so important but the sag i feel the gemini really loves to like travel locally and look around and tries to imitate and it likes to learn a lot of information it tries to 
learn, learn, learn. And the Sagittarius more um, is really seeking its own truth and its own time. And it's, and it's, it's just very different than Gemini. Um, it, it is a higher octave in some ways. Well, to isolate the two, true, but it is an access. And so I think the Gemini, I always go back to Castor and Pollux, the twins, one mortal, one immortal. And there's this tremendous absolute need to cross the boundaries. You know, Hermes was the only one that could go to the, as a cycle pump, could go to the underground. And it's that, uh, that need, that total drive to connect spirit and matter. And, of course, there's always in every sign going to be the deep and, the, well, as we said, the consensus, the individual or the spiritual. So there's different ways. You know, well, let's see. There was one other factor I wanted to bring up, but we don't have very much time. Well, we have four minutes. Oh, and oh, I, oh wow. Yeah. It goes so fast. <laughs> I know. It's been wonderful fun. And I well, before we get into that, I will mention very quickly that next week we our speaker will be William Canoer, and it'll be about publishing and the Errol Sag, not the Errol Sag, the Sagittarius Arrow, rather. Sometimes I have dyslexia of the brain cells, I think. And tonight has been Patty McLaughlin, who is uh, speaking about cultural perspectives, as she is in another nation at present. And we're continuing our course. And for those people that want to find out about our speakers, please go to Talk Cosmos online. All the speakers are there. There's information about them and how to connect with them. And we have archives to listen to. So Patty and I have a few minutes here. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We do appreciate you. There was an article. Her name's Sonia Baker on Seattle. And she has recomposed because the idea, this goes back to the, the earth, is that instead of dying and being put away in a casket, it's the idea of be, or even being burnt, which, of course, doesn't help our atmosphere, although that's how I thought I would go. But it's hmm. just being wrapped up and put into the earth so that you can nurture hmm. the earth. And she hopes to nurture a Gavinstein apple tree. That's her plan. But Oh, interesting. Yeah, hmm. death in many, because we've just come from Scorpio, you know, Sagittarius. Now, how does, where you are, for instance, how do people look at death? Um, well, here, uh, you know, I think in Islam, according to Islamic rules, um, there's like you'll always notice, uh, like in Palestine, after you there's these attacks, you'll you'll see that there's a big um, funeral the next day. I think there is something about trying to have the funeral within 24 hours that they want to get the body, you know, into the ground in the casket. But but it's very important that be within a 24-hour period. It's a healthy thing when you consider the right. decomposition. Decomp mm -hmm. And it also uh, feels very... So and I've never liked that idea of embalming. That's my own personal right. feeling. That so it happens very fast. And here, funerals are maybe a 1,000 people. When you have oh a funeral, um, if you die, you would have to invite everybody in the village uh, and and serve them a meal, oh. so funerals can become very expensive. Like 
you, you know, you have to feed the whole village. And of course, so many people are dying. So everybody, it's kind of a way that everybody gets fed. So people, whenever a, a child is born, you may feed the village. Whenever uh, someone dies, you may feed the village. So when everybody, you know, this whole cycle of life and death is going on, or a wedding, you should feed the village. So that's, it's in a way how people eat. I'd never considered that. Well, we have one minute left, so we have to tie it up. Man, I'm it's thinking, been, it reminds me. It's been me, so fun to talk to you, Sue. We'll oh, have to see each other in Seattle. Indeed, and we can Skype personally. This has been great. I'm just thinking, <laughs> yes, of the century plant. You know, that's where it's very last moment. It has a bloom, and then it has all these babies, and it feeds the world. Thank you, Patty. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Sue. <laughs> Good luck. Yes. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Until again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Talk Cosmos, the show where Sue Rose Minahan and guests unveil astrology's ancient archetypes that continually build the collective experiences in our unconsciousness. Be sure to tune in next Saturday at 6 p.m. to continue finding your roots and stars. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.